Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. We all face challenges in life. We face individual challenges. We face some on a societal level. And whenever we do encounter challenges, there's a few different responses we can take. And some of them that we see a lot are kind of unhealthy on the extremes a little bit, unhealthy or disempowering, I'd say. And that is first, on one end, to deny that a problem really exists or deny its significance, deny the challenge. On the other end, there are people who tend to adapt a doom and gloom type of response to it. They're, they're willing to accept a reduction in their quality of life or some sort of other negative consequence from it, and they just kind of hide their head in shame. But in between those extremes or in a much more healthy way, we can actually look at these problems and empower ourselves. We can empower ourselves say, okay, what can we do about it? What can I do to help? Is there some way we can innovate, some way we can use our brains? My guest today is someone who has taken this approach to one of our biggest challenges that we have right now, which is climate change and sustainable energy use. Today's guest is Chris Moore, the founder of Harmony Turbines. Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you, Steve. It's glad to be here. Thank you, Chris. And now, first of all, tell us about Harmony Turbines. Tell us about what you're doing for our energy use. Well, we're trying to just basically bring a product to the market that doesn't exist there today. You'll see small wind turbines out on Amazon and eBay where people can buy a do-it-yourself kit, put it together and hope that they get some usage for their home. But there's really no purpose-built kits that are good enough for the average homeowner to build, to put into use and to actually see a return. You can then step up to the level where you have a company come in and do it. And those can range anywhere from $30,000 to $60,000 to do it. The likely payback on those has been as bad as 30 years in many cases, because these companies will sort of prey on the fact that, well, in your area, you don't have really great wind or anything. So we're going to bump you up to the 20 kilowatt turbine. And that way, when you do get some wind, you'll make up for it in those times. But Steve, it's all hogwash. And there's so many misconceptions. There's so much bad information out there. It's just unbelievable. So Harmony Turbines, our small company, is about trying to finally bring a product to market that just makes sense. Convenience, ease of use, features, and cost. Those are the four things that we're going after to try and balance for a proper product to bring to market. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that the current wind energy technology doesn't really work for the average homeowner, especially the average say, urban, suburban dweller, maybe someone in a condo. And Harmony Turbines, your product makes a feasible product where most people who own homes can utilize wind energy for their own energy use. Correct. We're trying to get this from a 1% or not even really a half or a one quarter of a percent of the population that that would be good enough to use these products that are out there on the market to something more along the lines of a 30 or a 40% adoption rate where you and your parents and your friends could actually use this and be happy with it. We're looking to give you something that it's not complicated. You don't have to have a tower that's 80 feet tall. You don't have to fight neighbors with ordinance and lawsuits because of wind and noise and ugly problems with just the whirling spinning units that people are used to seeing this is something that's going to be like a piece of artwork and at the same time generating power for you, doing it in a way that you would, if you have decent winds in your area. And we're, of course, 
decent winds is a little open to interpretation, but we'll say 10 to 15 mile an hour winds on a number of days out of the month, something much more in line with what the average homeowner sees. That's what we're trying to bring a product to market to cater to these needs, to the average homeowner's needs. Give it a price tag that they can afford. Give them a five to seven year payback on their initial investment by savings on their energy bill, that sort of thing. Just finally making sense. I will have a link to the webpage where anyone listening can actually look at it. But just for anyone that's just listening, what do these wind turbines generally look like on people's homes? Because I think most people are imagining the windmills you see, say, if you're driving across Iowa and you just see that, you know, that big white windmill. Right. The big airplane propeller type. Yeah, exactly. Our turbines are very different. They're a vertical axis wind turbine design. They're derived from a Savonius turbine, but they have a helix twist to them. So they look like sort of like DNA Hmm. ranged vertically and they spin like a DNA helix would spin. So they're, they're very pretty to watch. They would be much more like an ornament you would hang under your porch and catch wind with that. It would be something similar to that, but larger, of course, to catch the wind. You would put these in your front yard or in your backyard, or we'll be looking at options to hopefully have them roof mounted in the future as well. And for people who are interested in science and specifics, what is the technological breakthrough that is enabling this technology to be, or this kind of wind energy harnessing to be used in a way that's more accessible to the average homeowner? So a vertical axis wind turbine does not need to seek the direction of the wind. It can be hit from any direction. In fact, it can be hit from multiple directions or multiple wind sources at once. Now, that doesn't happen in nature unless you have a thunderstorm or something where you've got gusting and swirling winds. Generally, you are only getting hit from one direction. But a a VAWT, a vertical axis wind turbine, doesn't need to spin and face the wind. It's able to be always oriented and spinning in the same direction, no matter where the wind is coming from. So that's advantage number one. Advantage number two is our base is a Savonius turbine, and they're very well known in the industry going back 50, 60 years when some of the larger universities did a lot of experimenting with these type of wind turbines. And they're well known for being able to capture very, very low wind speeds and make use high torque in these low wind conditions where other wind turbines don't even begin to spin or just basically outright ignore those lower wind conditions. So you've got uh, the ability to, I call it scavenging, you're really scavenging wind that would otherwise be wasted or ignored by the turbines, the propeller turbines that are out there today. And then what I'm wondering is you talk about respectable winds. And I think A lot of people have ideas about what regions have a lot of winds. Like, for example, if you live in Wyoming, it's so windy, you can pretty much use anything. But there are some places, maybe Georgia, Louisiana, Florida, that tend to be really low wind. There's still significant portions of this country and and the world, for that matter, that would still not be able to reasonably generate cost savings with these wind turbines. Or is this something that's available to pretty much anyone? No, we would never be a company that's trying to sell wind turbines to someone who doesn't have at least decent wind in their area. If you're someone who has just five mile an hour winds throughout the month, no, it's not going to be worth putting up a wind turbine. But what you're doing is reducing the price point of this entry level turbine 
to where it becomes attractive even to those who don't necessarily have good wind in their area. So now it can become a question of, hey, we don't have that great a wind, but I would like to support the movement and put one up just to potentially make some wind energy whenever we do get a thunderstorm or whenever we do get some uh, winds rolling through. So by lowering the price from the crazy units that are out there right now, 30,000, 40,000, 60,000 in some cases, down to the range of somewhere around $2,500. I mean, Steve, that's a world of difference apart. And so it does become attractive to everyone. Well, not everyone, but many, many more people in that case. So it becomes more friendly to the average homeowner. What inspired you to take on this pursuit to build this business, Harmony Turbines? I've been tinkering and working in clean energy technologies all of my adult life. And one of the biggest needs that I saw is that we don't have enough technology out there right now that helps the average person to make a difference. There's just a very a huge gap or a gulf there between our problems that we have with the environment and what needs to happen for the world to kind of step into the next phase of healing the environment and beginning to reverse the damage that's been done so far. So a lot of my technology that I would tinker with and work with was related to helping heal the environment or helping to give us other options, give society better options, give our world better options. So Harmony was sort of a genesis of all of these things. It was an idea that I had 10 or 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I'll say, that just evolved slowly. And it sounds like there's two aspects to this. One is the challenge that we are facing or environmental challenges. I'll put that kind of in a broad context, as well as kind of bringing it to the average person, which we're just saying, because it sounds like many other people are focusing more on big corporations or large-scale systems. Is that an accurate way to, to describe it? Yeah, I think we see the world embroiled in the problems that we're in right now because of greed, because of large corporations just trying to milk systems that were built, in some cases, many, many decades ago. Sadly, the thing that gets hurt the most in that situation gets caught by that greed is our planet itself and our future generations. We need to start building societies and solutions that are based on preservation of these sacred and dear things. And so when these homeowners put up their wind turbines, the Harmony turbines, that's also a shift in power into who controls the energy generated and the energy that comes in to heat your home, to light your home and all the things that we use it for. We are still in R&D mode. We don't have a product right now that people can go out after they hear this podcast and purchase the Harmony turbines or 10 or 20, even if they want to. <laughs> in fact, I've had to turn down many, many offers for people to pre-order our units because they're just dying to get these. But Steve, what we are doing is working through the R&D to bring this product to market as quickly as we can. We're working with what funds we have available and what options we have available. So let's fast forward into, we'll call it 18 months from now, when people may start being able to order Harmony turbines if we get enough funding to finally finish what we're building. The average person you, myself, your friends, your family, putting these on their home, what that will allow us to start doing is generating power. And it's not going to be like you can go outside and cut 
the cord cut the electric cables coming into your house. People say that all the time. Oh, will this run my house? No, <laughs> it just helps to offset the electric bill that you pay every month by a little bit. It helps to offset it by just a small amount. And if I may, I'll embellish a little bit on what my vision for the future really would be, because that's really where this is at. It's not a solution for curing things right here today, but it's more built into a solution that rolls into the future. Yeah. You were saying before you envision a whole different way that we envision our power grid, essentially. Correct. If I had a magic wand and could help to make this solution come about, we are just years away. And I mean, just a few years away. We're one step away from finally having the better battery and storage technology that we need to properly allow us to do decentralized power generation on our homes and on our small businesses and at small community and village levels, township levels. We are very, very, very close to that. Right now, the lithium ion batteries that we have they're not going to cut it because they start dying and start dying quickly after about 1,000 charge cycles. That's not going to work in clean energy and off-grid solutions where we need to all be looking. You need a product that would be more in line with supercapacitors and ultracapacitors where they can do millions of charge cycles before they start degrading because you're going to be dumping into the source five, 10 times a day and pulling out of it five, 10 times a day. You're going to be dumping into and pulling out of on a continual basis. And lithium ion batteries aren't going to do it. Lead acid batteries aren't going to do it. So really, as soon as we get one more step down the road with slightly better battery technology than what we have, and the prices of that begin to come down, now things start coming into focus because solar is starting to really catch on. You're going to see more and more thin film solar applications. The cost per solar installation is going to come down drastically. Wind turbine solutions such as what we have, Harmony turbines, that finally actually make sense and aren't literally brain dead stupid like the ones that we have out there now. I'm sorry. <laughs> they yeah. are. They're just absolutely brain dead stupid. They make no sense at all. When you finally have some options that make sense, now you can put those three technologies together your storage for your renewable energy that you're making with solar and wind. You can put that right into your battery bank or your supercapacitor bank that you're storing. Maybe you've got enough money that you can afford one day of storage or two days of storage, maybe five days of storage. It doesn't matter. Just something where you're dumping into that source as your first line of gathering that power. And then from that source, you're running with inverters to your home and you're powering the rest of your home with it. And Okay, fine. When you have situations where you're not able to maintain adequate levels, where you're dropping below 50% in your battery bank or your capacitor bank, fine. Then we could have a circuit that comes on and just tops off our bank from the grid power in a way that it allows us to sort of transition slowly out of the grid dependence that we have into a fully sustainable off-grid scenario within the next decade. So people don't have to go out and cut the cord to their power lines right away. It can be a very convenient and nice, quick backup source when our power levels fall to an unacceptable or, a, you know, I won't say a danger zone, but when it falls below what we want, a comfort level, then fine. It helps to top it off a little bit and then it shuts off. That type of a solution is beautiful. And then when you couple that with a backup generator, it can be a conventional source, diesel, gasoline, natural gas, whatever. 
has the ability to, if you fall below 50% and now the grid is offline or in a blackout situation and you can't top off with the grid, you need some other source. So then you would have a conventional source. But as long as you have sufficient solar and wind on your properties, sufficient renewables, you really would minimize the times where it has to pull power from the grid or has to pull power from your backup source down to a bare minimum. And that's the beauty of it. That's where we start making the paradigm shift into a new tomorrow when the world begins to change in a major way. And so it sounds like the challenge, of course, we're talking about is the fact that solar and wind, well, the sun's not always out and the wind is not always blowing. It's going to be varying probably seasonally. And so if you live in a place that has a good amount of sun in the summer, but no sun in the winter, you're probably going to need to store some of that energy for at least several months. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that as the storage gets better and better, we can rely on the grid, which is going to come from the natural gas, some of these more traditional but environmentally damaging sources can gradually kind of trickle down and down and how often we have to tap into those sources and we can continue to just store our excess wind. Say you have a day with a 40 mile an hour gust, you can store in a bunch of additional wind energy that can then be tapped into later on when you have a calm day. I think those kind of solutions, Steve, where people are able to store it reliably well for months at a time is closer to 15 years in the future. Okay. That's good to know. What I'm referring to is just a few days, supercapacitors and ultracapacitors. And a lot of the battery technology that we're looking at has what they call self-discharge rates, high self-discharge rates. And so you can't store power for a long time. It's a trade-off. You get the ability to dump into and remove power from those sources many, many times a day without damaging them. But if you would let them go for weeks and months, they would very slowly self-discharge over that time. So no, I'm not trying to advocate this as a long-term, like you store up all your sunlight in the summer and then use it in the winter. No, this would be why you need both solar and wind on your property in sufficient amounts so that when the wind is blowing and the sun is shining, you're dumping into your little bank on a daily and a weekly basis, but it's not over months. Okay. But that solves for, say, the day and night thing, right? Because oftentimes you'll have a sunny day with some wind and then it'll calm down at night and it'll be dark and you'll be able to tap into that more. And so there may still be seasons one season or another where you might have to still tap a little bit more into the grid. Exactly. There will be out of your, if you look at it, well, in the month of July, we only needed to tap into the grid two times that month. We generated everything we needed to from solar that month. And then in February, most of our power was coming from our our wind turbine, but there were five times that we had to tap into the grid that month. It'll vary by location and by season. I'm sure There's going to be huge algorithms out there where people are charting and monitoring this, but it doesn't matter. In the end, you need to have sufficient amounts of generation capability on your property or on your business to dump into your little storage bank as soon as those resources are available. And here's the other kicker. With everything that we're doing to our environment, the wind is getting more volatile. Everyone is seeing much more volatile and crazy storms coming up all the time. So here's the thing that Harmony is looking to really capitalize on. We are the only wind turbine out there. We hold the patents on 
our ability to furl or close in. Basically, the wind turbine, let's say it's four feet wide when it's fully deployed. As the winds start coming up and becoming more violent, Harmony can pull its scoops in. Now, it's not going to pull them in to close it, but it'll pull in partially so that it helps to reduce the exposure and it'll be monitoring with software saying, okay, I'm spinning too fast. I need to pull my arms in a little bit. So it'll pull in, say, 5%. And then it tests again. Am I spinning in a safe RPM range? If the answer is no, it'll pull in another 5%. It'll basically be able to self-regulate how large its exposure to the wind is so that as these thunderstorms and as these violent storms come up, it can keep generating full power right on through that event. Those events right now disable or even destroy the current solutions that are out there on the market today. Those solutions on the market today, they have to put on brakes, they have to dump load, they have to do all kinds of crazy things to try and keep from being destroyed. The last thing they're thinking about is, oh, I need to be generating power efficiently through this event. No, those solutions on the market today are just trying to survive. And to me, that's crazy. Why would you throw away those strong winds? You should be generating power right on through those events. Think about coastal customers. How many times a year do they get strong, violent winds coming through there? Harmony would be an amazing solution to have for boating needs and people who live right on the coast. You put a $30,000 turbine, a conventional one out there right now, and it might be fine for two months, but then boom, one nasty storm comes up and it destroys your whole thing. So of what value was that $30,000 turbine that you put out there? I'd be far more inclined to spend a reasonable amount of money for a product that's going to just keep on producing right through and protect itself naturally right through those events and smile right at you the next day when you come out and look at it. It's sitting there spinning and doing its job. I'm not saying our products are going to be infallible. Of course not. Every product has a certain amount of failure rates, things that happen and go wrong. But in the end, when it comes down to it, our survival rate is going to be through the roof compared to anyone else out there. And not only survivability, but the ability to produce power right on through those events, which is unheard of in current technologies. So it sounds like we're saying the current technology is a wind turbine that looks like an airplane or whatever that you put on your house for $30,000, dollars $60,000 and cuts your energy costs by, I don't know how much, but now you're talking about a product with harming turbines that, first of all, as you mentioned, looks more natural, like a piece of art, but also costs about a tenth of that in order of magnitude less. And what would be the overall reduction? Say someone lives in just a typical place with like, say even New York City, right? A place with some wind, some sun, but not exceptional in one way or the other. How much would they be able to offset their costs and how much would they be able to kind of, I guess, reduce their own carbon footprint for people that are concerned about that? I would say people living in New York where they're not going to have a large amount of wind or a large amount of sun, I would probably be one of the first ones to say, hey, John or Susan, whatever their name is, it's probably not good for you to invest in this right now. If you're doing it to kind of assist with the whole clean energy movement or something, great. But if they're trying to offset their energy costs and try and offset their bills, no, New York isn't our place where we're looking to market. We are looking to market, Steve, in the coastal and the boating sectors first as our flagship product, our flagship areas that we want to get out to. The areas where the high and damaging winds and typhoons and places like that are constantly a problem. 
that's where we're looking to go first. And then once we gain a foothold, once people start seeing, wow, holy crap, the reliability of these little turbines is just astronomical, then through word of mouth and through general media and publicity will help to generate excitement in other areas. We want to be the first product that people are looking at going, you know what? I don't have great wind on my property, but I want one of those because that is really cool. And that at least I'm helping in whatever small way I can to make a difference. But we want to start in the areas that need us the most. Given your technology, given this battery storage technology, what you're envisioning for the future, whether it be what you're talking about a few years from now or the longer term stuff that you say maybe more like 15 years down the road, are you generally optimistic about our future? Oh, yeah. I think not only is this a necessity that we go to this, but I believe we're going to be faced with legislation and movements in society that force these situations. See, right here in the United States and Canada and the developed countries, you've got strong opposition to decentralized power. It's just like you've heard the term probably in pharmaceuticals where people say there's no money in a cure. They would much rather you be taking 20 pills a day for the rest of your life than they would to cure you, to give you that cure because there's no money in it. Once they cure you, you don't need them anymore. Same thing exists in the energy industry. The big titans that are out there that have the power lines coming to your house, they don't want you to have decentralized power because it means you don't need them anymore. And so we believe some of our initial footholds and really big gains are going to be made in countries where that infrastructure doesn't even exist. Areas like India and Africa, certain areas out in Australia and just remote regions where there is no opposition to other solutions coming on board. And so we think that these places where we gain these footholds will help kind of get the ball rolling and get the movement kickstarted. And then, of course, once the reliability begins to come to light with vetting our products in the coastal and stormy areas and things like that, and the survivability and the accounts of these amazing little turbines that are just unheard of and people couldn't even imagine how we didn't have these 20 years ago. We don't jump unless something is literally slapping us in the face with danger. So I think, yes, it's coming. How quickly it comes is going to be a whole big mathematical equation on a lot of different factors that I'm not going to even try and speculate on. But no, it's, it's, it's hard because there's always those unknown unknowns too, right? The things like, I never knew this would impact it. One of the things I'm wondering about this whole story is kind of our mentality around work in general and how it relates to this, because one of the things that I see when I see people not wanting things to change is a fear. Like I do this job and I don't want to have to try to do a different job. Same thing with curing people. Once someone's cured, you move on to something else. My question is, what can we be doing to change our mindset? Because it sounds like what we need a mindset of is more like, we have this challenge, like right now, you have your part that you're playing in our sustainable energy challenge. And at some point, what you're looking to do is cure it, is looking to, to come up with a solution. And then at that point in the future, whether it's three years from now or 30 years from now, you or someone working with you is going to have to move on, say, we've done this, we've completed this task, and now we're moving on to what's next. Do you think that there's a, a mindset shift going on or something that we need to do to kind of think about things more along those lines as opposed to, I have to protect what I have now from change? Sure. And 
Here's the crazy part about that question. It's a great question, but it speaks to humanity at a core level. So humans, you and I and our family and friends, we can operate on a a five or 10 year sort of limited plan. And we can be okay with that. We can say, you know what, I'll do this for 10 years. I'll help to make a million wind turbines and get them out there all over the place and to help build and install these battery solutions. And we're going to create millions of jobs around the world where, well, okay, not billions, but millions of jobs around the world where people are helping and assisting with this infrastructure and this build and this paradigm shift that we need. But then, oh no, what do we do in 10 years when we fixed all that? And people are like, well, okay, that's not a big deal. We'll move on to the next problem. But corporations, Steve, there's the problem. Corporations don't like that. Corporations get nervous when you only have 10 years in front of you, 10 years of runway. They get really itchy and nervous and scared. And the bigger the corporation, the more scared those corporations get. They're like, no, 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 no. We need to have plans 40 years into the future, 50 years into the future. So there's the problem. There's the issue that we have right now. It's these corporate mentalities and big industrial mentalities that are holding us as a society back because, okay, we go and we do this and we cure all of the electrical problems in the entire world. Now what, Chris? Now you've created this horrible destabilizing event in the world and we're going to have wars and problems because now there's no jobs left. No, it's all BS. I mean, Mm -hmm. come on. Yeah. We're going to simply... If you're looking at it from a humanitarian and the viewpoint where we need to keep fixing and helping the world, there are so many problems that that's where these corporations are. It's crazy to me. If there was industrial investment in fixing, truly curing these problems, there's so many problems out there that after they cure problem number one, there will be plenty of other things to move on to. But the corporations don't want to look at it that way because they invest a massive amount of time and training and people into this one thing and they get people trained up for it. And now if we pull the rug out from under them because we've cured everything, they get all scared and worried. So it's not a personal problem. It's a corporate problem that I see. I've heard a lot of people talk about this idea of what people refer to as the 60-year curriculum. So in the 20th century, we all go to school for four years. And the idea was that this four-year degree would take you through an entire 50, 60-year career, whatever, doing the same thing. But now the world is revolving. It's changing faster. And as you said, there's always going to be a new problem to solve. And a possible future education scenario, at least, is one where you go to, say, a three-month boot camp to learn a a skill. You do that skill for five, seven, eight years. And then when that job is done, you go to another boot camp for a few months, learn another skill, do that for five, eight years, and so forth and so on. You're constantly re-educating yourself. And it sounds like what you're saying is that most people are comfortable with the idea of, okay, re-educate yourself, try something new. I mean, we human beings, we get bored and we want to do something different from time to time, but that there's a fear in some of these larger corporations that want to not only keep the corporation doing the same thing, but keep the people in the corporation doing the same thing for far longer than is needed. The corporations see this as the only viable way to secure their future. If they can predict and they can control the demand for the jobs that they're providing or the, for the services that they're providing, you hit the nail on the head when you said people get bored after a while. I think it would be amazing (laughs) to be able to, you work your tail off doing something for 10 years. And then you say, okay, we're done, man. We, fix that. 
check it off the list. We cured that problem in the world, not just in our community, but in the freaking world. That's awesome. So, okay, what's the next biggest problem to tackle? Steve, there'd be a lifetime of problems to keep tackling. That's just it. That's the crazy part about this. And once we tackle all the problems here, there's tons of places to go beyond our earth because if we're working together on a global scale and curing and fixing these problems, it won't be very long before we're ready to go out and say hello to whatever's out there beyond our little blue marble. So the opportunities are endless. We have to just pull our heads out of our backsides and start looking at it as this isn't a scary, untenable thing. This is what we have to do to survive as a species. What would you say to the people who are in one of those disempowering traps of either A, on one side, denying that the problem even exists, or on the other side, hiding their heads in the sand, yelling doom and gloom, yelling, we're all going to have to go back to medieval lifestyles in a few years? I think a lot of the problems that we have today are caused by the way society is building us into, we're building ourselves into these cages. We're trapping ourselves into these mindsets. We're on our phones. We get instant gratification, instant messaging, instant texting back and forth. Everything is instant, instant, instant. Nobody's really working for anything anymore in a cohesive way that they feel empowered and they feel like what they're doing matters. Everyone is being pulled apart and isolated. And it's just, we don't have that great sense of togetherness and working for a greater good anymore. I think this could be in so many ways working to cure these problems like energy dependence and decentralizing energy around the world. I can't even imagine what that would do to the world, to the human race on so many levels. We'd be curing so many maladies and ailments that people have and neurological diseases because they would be going to work with a purpose. They'd be contributing to something that's really, truly meaningful for the first times in their lives, perhaps. That's the scary part. It's like we've built an entire generation that has just forgotten how to be really helpful and needed. And that's where we're at. We're trapped in this rut where we don't think anything we do will matter and someone else is always going to fix it. Yeah. Actually, one of the motivations behind this very podcast is the number of people that I've observed that don't feel like they're going to work with a purpose, that don't feel connected to anything and are thinking along the lines of, what is it that I really want to bring into this world? And community connection to people, connection to a common mission is a huge part of it. And one thing I'm wondering is, you're talking about your turbines and you're talking about the people who are developing the improved batteries, the better better battery storage Are you in regular contact with this group of people? Do you feel like you have a sense of connected purpose with the people developing the battery storage or anyone else, even the people on the solar side, the people doing some of the other parts of this mission? No, I'm not connected to anyone in a big way. We're just a tiny struggling startup that's got a really great solution, but we are largely unknown in the world. And so our biggest struggle right now is getting that networking and beginning to connect and link up with those organizations, those solar groups and those battery development groups and things like that. And the, you know, super capacitor and ultra capacitor development and graphene and carbon zeolites and all the wonderful things that are coming about. The cool part though, is they're happening because of other driving forces, such as the electric vehicle market. Believe it or not, the electric vehicle market is spurring massive 
changes and developments in the battery storage technology and battery density and densification, storing more power in smaller and smaller spaces. So we don't have to be in touch with these groups and have our finger on the pulse or have signed contracts with them. It's coming. I'd love to be part of a group that says our solution plus this plus this is sold as the suite of products in just a few years from now. Like you would get a suite of products where it's got a Harmony turbine in it and thin film solar for your roof. And then the XYZ battery storage technology or solid state batteries or supercapacitors, whatever that package is going to be, it would be amazing to have that. Even without those partnerships, if you see, say, Elon Musk doing an interview about electric cars, do you feel a sense of connection to that common mission, even without physically knowing the people and having those partnerships? Absolutely. And I would love to link up and hook up with people like that. Elon has dabbled with the solar roofs and the power walls. He's been dabbling already with two of the three pieces that I'm talking about. Well, actually, there's more like five pieces in my solution that I described. But the three main ones are the solar, the wind, and the power storage solution. The other two are already things that we've got. Yes, I would absolutely love to be connected like through partnerships with them, but I do feel a strong connection to what they're doing and always watching and listening and cheering for them when I see advancements in these realms. I'm just hoping that we can build the physical connections in the near future with those corporations in those places. And your position right now, the current spot where you're at, you're kind of in this like long haul R&D slog. You're trying to get noticed. You're trying to get the right investments, get the right business plan in place. What keeps you going? Like, What is the one or two things that every day keeps you going? Simply the fact that it has been a slow and steady progress from in my basement way back in the beginning in 2017 when this journey began and I started recording it on YouTube to where we are today, where we now have a fully functional machine shop and the prototype shop where we can start producing the pieces and parts that we need. We have 3D printing partnerships with corporations like Protocam and others calling us on a monthly basis, looking to partner with us from all over the world, Australia, India, Africa, Canada. What keeps us going is the fact that we are marching ahead slowly and steadily each day. I tell people a lot of times we march to the beat of our funding or we march to the beat of our drum. Well, our drum is how much funding we get. And if it's only a little bit of funding to kind of keep us afloat, so be it. It just means that that progress is greatly slowed down when it's only enough to keep us afloat and pay the rent. If we can get the true funding that we're after, $500,000 or so to work on our finishing off our generator technology and finishing off the production package for our wind turbine, our 400 watt kits. Steve, we would jump ahead by 10 months at a time. It's just, I don't want to speculate and say, hey, we're going to have that done next year. Because without the proper funding, it's very hard to push forward quickly and to do things as quickly as we would like to. So we have to just keep going slow and steady one step at a time. And I think that speaks to the importance of celebrating the smaller wins. If you at least give yourself a little bit of time, half an hour, a pat on the back, say, oh, I'm going to eat my favorite meal tonight or something along those lines to make that little celebration that'll keep you going as most really good things, most really good processes 
things that are really impactful are longer term. As you mentioned, they're not that instant. I got my five likes or 25 or thousand likes. They're the things you build slowly over time. We're constantly moving forward a step at a time. I share as much information as I can as we go through this. We now have three universities that we have signed with, Bucknell, Penn State, and Northumbria University, who are excited as can be about working with us and doing the research on our specific technology and the advancements of our technology, the benefits of it. So there are tons of wins that are coming in, but people are, we've built a society around instant gratification. We were just talking about it 15 minutes ago. And they think as soon as they put a hundred dollars into investing in Harmony turbines, they think, well, three months from now, you're going to have this done and it's going to be on the market, right? And then I can get my million dollars that I deserve for investing that $100 in your company. I'm being facetious in, in that analogy, but believe it or not, that is not very far from what a lot of people think. The unrealistic expectations that people have of just what goes into putting something like this together, bringing it to market. When you're a tiny little company, it's tough. So every win, every investment, everything helps. And it helps move that chip, that pointer forward one step at a time. And that in and of itself is a celebration on a daily basis. So we're doing our best with what funding and what time we have. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you're fighting a little bit of a fight against this instant or short-termism in our culture that we see a lot of, but also seeing the importance of, yeah, we need to celebrate these smaller wins. We need to celebrate our progress and be happy with ourselves. One final question is the confidence to approach universities, to approach investors. Is that confidence something that you think generally comes from knowing that your product is well-researched and impactful? Or is there another source that anyone listening would be wise to tap into as far as having that confidence to say, yes, I am doing this. And yes, I am worthy of having this partnership and having this investor and having this connection. I don't know that there's any one source or one magic pill that I could offer to people to say, if you do this, it'll help you to be empowered and help you to <laughs> yeah. understand where to go. I will say in my experience, we have gotten ourselves as a world, as a society, as a species into the fix that we're in, into the problems that we're in because we have been pursuing the wrong things all this time. Build, build, build at any cost. That type of greed mentality, hooray for me to hell with you, excuse my French, but that type of mentality has brought us to the brink of annihilation here, where we're at now with destroying our environment, with polluting things beyond repair, with just all of the problems that we're faced with as society. So my advice would be to move away from that as much as you can and start looking at holistic solutions that help. Even if it's helping in just a small way, invest in those technologies, invest in those companies that you see as making a difference. The companies that are out there right now that have been around for 40 and 60 years, bringing you oil and gas and electric and all that, those guys are there and they exist because they've been milking a system that has been around for 50, 60, 70 years, and they want to keep it going for another 50, 60, 70 years. They're not the companies that are likely to be pushing for solutions that help to make these paradigm shifts we need as a world, as a society. So take comfort in 
knowing that if you start thinking differently, if you start acting differently and embracing different solutions that can help to make these changes we need, that you are in fact doing the right thing finally, moving away from that old way of existing. And this seems to also touch on some of the topics I've covered with other podcast guests that have had initiatives around community development and coaching and the types of things that are generally helping a whole culture of people that are oftentimes we have a lot of loneliness in this country. We have a lot of people that just need more human connection, as well as the people who are trying to help people with their health, with their mental health, with their how much they're satisfied with their job, their mental attitudes and everything that you can listen to if you go back or even go forward to some of the future episodes of this particular podcast. So Chris, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on and joining us today on Actions Antidotes, giving us some advice on how to handle some of these issues, how to really kind of tackle the issues that we have, how to believe in ourselves, how to come up with solutions, how to think about the right way to enact them and how to celebrate all of our progress, big and small, It was six years ago now, it's 2022, I took a bike trip where I started in Niagara Falls and Canada side, and I biked for six days to Maine, to Portland, Maine, where I got a lobster. And the point of that trip was the journey. And if all I thought about for six days, pedaling 100 miles a day up and down hills was the lobster, I would have missed everything on between. I would have missed the Adirondacks. I would have missed Ben and Jerry's. I would have missed Kangamangas Highway and all these other really sweet parts of the journey. And that's exactly what I feel like is the journey you're on, as well as a lot of these listeners out there. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's helping to change people's hearts and people's minds to help them understand they can be and are part of the solution. If they can just believe in themselves enough to take those first small steps to make those small changes that will then compound when added times 8 billion people or whatever our number is in this world today. We are the 99.99999% of the world who can make the difference. And those we have to wrestle that power and control away from the ones who are trying to keep us stuck in the paradigm that we're in right now. For sure. And so listeners out there, the encouragement is you've got whatever your idea is or whatever you're feeling about you have a solution out there and let's make it happen. Make your life a little bit more fulfilling, your purpose fulfilled or whatever. And yeah, just keep at it. I wish I had a better word to finish that sentence on. (laughs) You can make a difference and you will make a difference if you just believe in that fact, you know, if we can help to educate our children, they're going to open doors. We never even knew to exist. So That's what we're all about. And Harmony Turbines is one tiny, tiny little piece of this puzzle. And I hope to be part of a bigger solution one day. And that's one tiny piece. Everyone out there, get on your tiny piece because it might be a tiny piece of something big, as big as eight, nine, 10 billion people, whatever we end up at. But it is a very important piece if we all contribute to something that makes everything better. Thank you again, Chris. Thank you to all the listeners out there. And I want to encourage you to listen to some of the other episodes I have. I mentioned the community organizers. I mentioned the people building fitness challenges, helping with mental health and all this other stuff. And then tune into some of these future podcasts as well, where I'm going to have more guests like Chris who are doing their part, having their piece of the solution and making things happen for humanity. 
making the world a better place. Yep. How <laughs> cliche. Well, thank you very much, Steve. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good day. You too.